Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, 13th of December. We have so much to talk about with regard to relationships, with regard to our relationship with the Lord and the world that we're living in right now that has, has a tendency to devalue things that God places a tremendous value on. You are less than two weeks away from Christmas. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> hope your shopping is going well. I want to thank the number of people who've been helping us in our campaign and partnering with us, I should say, for preborn. This has truly been remarkable. And there, every time I'm amazed by something, I'm equally amazed by more opportunities to keep showing up. I want to thank Nick in Corona for a $140 donation. Uh, that will help save five babies, five preborn babies. Robert in Santa Ana, a $100 donation going toward the uh, matching gift we have with Dennis Wilson and his uh, colleague, Jeff Wood. Uh, they've put up $7,500 toward a $15,000 ultrasound machine. And you have a golden opportunity to uh, to reach out and, uh, and take advantage of that match. Uh, EW in uh, Newport Beach gave a $28 donation. Uh, Lynn in uh, San Clemente, a $280 donation. All of these donations are matched right now by Dennis Wilson's matching gift until we get, we, we've still got another $6,000 to go toward raising money for an ultrasound machine. And I know you can do it. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229. Or go to capebrightradio.com, hit the preborn banner and make your best donation there. The end of the year is coming up in 18 days. If you are looking for a way to maximize your tax deductible donations and hence deductions, from your tax return for 2022. This is an excellent way to do it. And I also want to commend to you something, speaking of Dennis Wilson, a special opportunity that Dennis has. Um, you're going to be hearing more about this in the coming days, but uh, he and I were talking not too long ago about something. This is kind of like his CD alternative, only different. It's a program that gives you a chance. If you have been getting hammered in the stock market, you, uh, are looking at, say, a 401k that we like to say has become a 201k because of what's happening in the marketplace, you have a golden opportunity right now with what they call a catch-up uh, IRA, if you will, or CD alternative. Here's how it works. Let's say you got $100,000 in a 401k. And over the past year, it has dropped in value to about 90000 90, or maybe even $85,000. It's going to take a while for the market to recover. Many experts are saying 2023 is going to be as bad, if not worse, than 2022 for stock markets. And that's what your 401k investment is tied into. You contact Dennis Wilson at 800-696-9970, and he has an opportunity for you to get a major return. It's a 3% guaranteed return for the next two years. That sounds pretty basic, pretty safe, not a lot of risk. But during the first year in this program, you have the opportunity to earn a 13% bonus on your investment. So let's say that $100,000 fell and dropped to $90,000. Well, you take it out of that 401k, you're going to have to pay tax on it, and you got to pay a little penalty for taking it out. But then you take what's left and you invest it in this new investment with Dennis Wilson, and you get a 13% bonus right off the top and a guarantee of 3% return the first year, 3% the second year. For all intents and purposes, this is a 16% return in the first year. Where are you going to find a 16 Stock market? Forget it. It's down 25% this year. It's probably going down 20 to 25% next year. Real estate? 
Well, you might have been able to get 16% on average, but those high prices are coming down. Prices are still kind of going up, but they're just not going up as quickly. But you want 16% return on your money? I encourage you to call Wilson Financial right now. Get all the details. 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Or just go to caperightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial, and uh, you'll you'll get all the information there. I, it's too good to be true. Highly recommend that you check it out. Uh, I want to give you just a quick update on a story that uh, many of us were covering here in San Diego over the weekend. A young woman by the name of Catherine Wolaki uh, had run away from home. She'd been missing since Friday night. And San Diego Police Department report that the 14-year-old is now home. I, you know, I, I love the fact that when we as children will go to stray, a loving parent and loving parents will go looking for that person. And this is definitely one of those situations where you can see the biblical parallels to it. A young woman, a little frustrated with life, distraught, thinking that nobody cares that she decides to wander off. And what happens? The father, the mother, the parents who love her and truly do care for her wind up uh, combing the streets, searching far and wide to find this little girl. I'm 14 years old, but she's a little girl. And now she's back home. It's just a wonderful story. I mean, we see stories like that all the time. Uh, they just don't make the headlines. And so I wanted to bring that to your attention as we kick off the program here. Also, this this is kind of cool. It, it's kind of a drag in terms of this is happening. I believe the uh, the the road work is going to be done uh, tonight into tomorrow if you're anywhere near Interstate 8 at Mission Bay. Uh, Caltrans crews are going to shut that down. for And it, this is one of those ones where it's from 9 p.m. until 5 a.m tomorrow morning, but Caltrans crews are going to be testing a new notification system. And I think this is wonderful. I mean, with all due respect to anybody, if you've ever been driving down the road and you come across somebody who it looks like headlights are coming at you instead of taillights going away from you. And you look and say, what in the ever loving, how in the heck did that happen? But at the Sunset's Cliff Boulevard off-ramp off of Interstate 8 and Mission Bay, apparently they have a score of head-on collisions that happen because some folks get twisted and turned around and they wind up going the wrong way. When you exit on the off-ramp, you may not see the giant wrong way do not enter signs and the rev pavement reflectors uh, that it, it really can only be fully recognized if you're heading in the wrong direction. But they're trying these new driver detection systems simply because they've had so many wrong way accidents. Now, if you remember back in the old days of uh, the Jesus people, bumper stickers and things like that, remember the one that said, if you're heading in the wrong direction, God allows for U-turns? Well, this is yet another one of those examples of how we as Christians in this world can often get off the right path onto the wrong path, and it looks like it's the right way. It looks like you're driving in a certain area and you see the sign, or maybe you're trusting your GPS and the GPS tells you to turn right and you wind up turning right into the wrong thing. <laughs> that Boy, that happens a lot by the Cape Wright Studios. Don't mind saying it. If you've ever picked up an Uber uh, and, and had the Uber driver not familiar with the area. I remember one time I was flying to, uh, I think it was Sacramento for a station event, and I wanted to leave my car parked at the Cape Wright Studios, so I just left it there overnight. And I uh, took an Uber to the airport. 
And the guy, literally, if you know anything about John Wayne Airport and the way it's set up, KBRT studios are on Airway Avenue, uh, which is at the back end of John Wayne Airport. There is no direct access to the airport. You have to go all the way around Red Hill MacArthur. Well, this guy, I kid you not, was trusting his GPS, and he almost drove into a gate, almost drove into a fence. Uh, if he'd gotten through, we'd be on the tarmac, and there'd be an Alaska Airlines jet landing on top of us. Uh, we had a good chuckle over the fact that he said, yeah, I'm not from around here. And I said, yeah, I can tell. But nonetheless, two stories to start things off to talk about if you're heading in the wrong direction, if you feel as though you are, or maybe even worse, if you're a parent or a grandparent, and there is a child in your world or a friend, a spouse, somebody, anybody who's heading in the wrong direction. Know that if they're lost, there is someone who is looking for them. And if they're heading in the wrong direction, they can make that U-turn. And from a practical standpoint for our listeners in San Diego, if you're uh, cruising down Interstate 8 at Mission Bay, uh, the off-ramp there around uh, Sunset Cliffs Boulevard is going to be closed from 9 p.m. tonight until uh, 5 a.m. tomorrow morning to put this new technology into place. Hey, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, many years ago, a young woman by the name of Joanna Weaver, pastor's wife and aspiring author, wrote a book that turned the world on its ear called Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World. Remember that book? It was a great one. It's just a, a wonderful uh, look at how sometimes we get so busy trying to please God with all the things that we're doing that God has to say, hey, wait a minute, Martha. You know, take a step back here. What you're doing is good, but what Mary chose in this moment is the better way to go. So what happens now when it comes to the matter of trusting God? How do we let go of the things that are holding us back and hold on to our forever faithful God instead? Well, she's back with a brand new book, is Joanna Weaver, called Embracing Trust, The Art of Letting Go and Holding On to a Forever Faithful God. We're going to take a look at the life of David on the other side of this break. We have a link for the book, by the way, at thebottomlineshow.com. Joanna Weaver joins me coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Personal injury law has changed so much since the pandemic, and Stephanie Cover has been studiously working to make sure that she knows the law, and she knows it backwards and forwards. A personal injury attorney with personal integrity and the same faith in Christ that you have, Stephanie Cover. Stephanie with an F, Cover is in cover, 877-214-4935. When I mention this phrase, you're probably going to have some kind of reaction to it that may be very strong or it may be somewhat dismissive, and that is trusting God. Now, when you mention the terms trusting God, the first thing you think of is, that's easy for me, or maybe it's, well, the more I think about it, it's not so hard. It does sound like a cliche, doesn't it? And yet, when you think about it, God gave his son to pay the penalty for our sin and basically expects in return us to completely surrender our lives to him and to really trust that he does have his best in mind for us. So the question is, are we doing that? How do we embrace this trust? Well, author Joanna Weaver is with me today here on The Bottom Line. You know her from her landmark book, uh, Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World. And uh, I appreciate the work that Joanna's done over the the decades that we've known each other. The brand new book that she's written is called Embracing Trust, The Art of Letting Go and Holding On to a Forever Faithful God. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Joanna Weaver, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Oh, it's so good to be with you, Roger. Thank you. Good to have you, too, because, I mean, I love the fact that you take big assignments, Mary and Martha, stuff like that, <laughs> and break it down into nuggets and morsels that we can actually, uh, you know, digest and process. Uh, let's talk about trust, right? You know, who just writes a book about trusting God? Joanna Weaver did, and she takes a, tackles a subject 
like David's heart for God. Talk about what we're looking at in terms of embracing trust. This really is hard for a lot of Christians, isn't it? You know what? I think it really is hard for every Christian. Now, I know that there are some people who say, no, I have no problem trusting God, but I just want you to think back to the last moment that you were in crisis, when everything went wrong, when that health diagnosis came in, when you got news that you never wanted to hear. There, I'm pretty sure for all of us, our first instinct isn't always trust. Because honestly, I think trust is wired in our fallen DNA. I mean, that's mm. what happened in the garden, right? Mm-hmm. The enemy sowed doubt that God maybe wasn't as good as, as Adam and Eve thought he was, that maybe he was withholding the best. And the big temptation was to seize control. And so it was distrust. They got us kicked out of the garden, and I think the enemy still loves to do the same thing. Even though we've been saved, he wants to sow distrust, discontent. He wants to sow doubt and and make us believe that it's all up to us. And as a result, sometimes we're slow to trust him, and yet I'm so glad that he understands that. He knows our frame, and yet he, he calls us, and he encourages us, do not fear trust in me. And that that's really the heart of the book. But like you said, I mean, it's not a light topic. It's not, <laughs> I've been praying. I was really praying, Lord, I don't want it to be a Christian band-aid, you know, because we, yeah. we say it to one another all the time. And we mean it with all our hearts. We know it's the answer. But when it's spoken to us, it feels flippant and it feels flimsy and it doesn't feel like, like it's something that we can actually achieve. But I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to help us. Yes. Trust God more. I love that. Joanna Weaver is with me today here on The Bottom Line. Her brand new book is called Embracing Trust, The Art of Letting Go and Holding On to a Forever Faithful God. We have a link to the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You talk a little big topic, so I'll ask you a big question, Joanna Weaver. Uh, you talk about the process of letting go and holding on. And my very logical type A process task-oriented brain says you can't do both at the same time. Um, how do we, <laughs> yep. how do we go? But, but that's what trust in God is, isn't it? I mean, it, it's a journey and it involves mm-hmm. doing both. Talk about, kind of give us a, maybe a 60 second explanation of each as to why the essence of trusting God involves the letting go, but also holding on simultaneously. You bet. Well, when I wanted to write this book first, the moment having a merry heart came out, um, this was the book I was going to write and the working mm-hmm. title was letting go and trusting God. Because I really do believe that, that one of the key pieces of trusting God starts with surrender. Because yeah. until I really fully surrender my life, not just my heart, until I go beyond making Jesus my Savior and actually make Him my Lord, oh my goodness, there is going to be a tug-of-war inside, and we're going to constantly put, be pulled to doubt and distrust and the need to stay in control. But when we fully surrender our lives to this beautiful Savior who not only loves us but wants to work on our behalf, well, that's when the fun begins. However, as the years passed and God just continued to write this message in my own life and on my own heart, I realized that as we learn to let go and surrender, that's really when we can become excuse me, that's really when we can begin to hold on in faith. Because if, if, I, if I haven't fully surrendered, then when I'm going to God for something, I have a determined outcome, right? Mm-hmm. I know what I want God to do for me. But if I fully surrender and say, God, here's what I'd like. You know, he says, present your request to me. 
You have not because you ask not. So we're invited to bring our requests. But if we come from that place of like, I belong to you. So Lord, whatever you want to do, that's, I want your will above my will. Well, then that's when I believe we can really begin to hold on in faith and take his promises um, to our hearts. And so I've divided the book into those two sections, the things that we need to let go of so that in the last section we begin to hold on in faith. Mm. Joanna Weaver's Embracing Trust is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And, of course, David winds up becoming the uh, one of the primary examples here. Talk about that. I mean, oftentimes I know there are a lot of people who would say, oh, yeah, David, the man after God's own heart. But in all honesty, we say that because someone told us that's what we're supposed to believe, not because we could truly actually believe that. What is it about him that, for you, Joanna Weaver, uh, shows that he embraces both of these concepts of letting go and holding on? Well, I think we see it so clearly from his early life. You know, I think sometimes we, we tend to define David by his big mistake. Right. And it was huge. You know, yeah. adultery and murder. And yet, even then, he turned in repentance back to God. But early on, you know, here he is, probably fifteen, sixteen, anointed to be the next king of Israel. And what I don't think we realize is, is though he was anointed king, it was about 15 years before he took the throne. And in between, Saul tried to murder him. He was constantly on the right. run for his life. But the thing that just just so impresses me about David is he refused to take matters into his own hands. You know, if I would have been anointed king, you know, at 15, mm-hmm. and I got all the favor, and, you know, David's killed his 10,000, Saul's only got killed 1,000, I would have leveraged my popularity and taken the throne. But over and over, we see God. We see David say, "No, I will not touch God's anointed." He knew that the thing that God had spoken over his life was God's responsibility to perform, and he wasn't going to take matters into his own hands. And so that's really encouraging to me. The second thing is just his beautiful honesty before the Lord. You know, his love letters in the Psalms to God, pouring out his frustrations being honest about his fears, but always bringing it back to, yet will I trust him? And I think we can learn a lot from that. It wasn't a perfect life, but it was a God-centered life. It was a a life that really did want to please the Lord. You know, I appreciate you saying that, Joanna, because of the fact that there are people who will hear this conversation and they'll say, you know, you're, you're reading my mail. You know, you're, you're, this is this is my life. I mean, every the, the fact that I've had these these heartaches, I've had these hardships. And in the culture that we live in right now, I, I want to circle back around to something you said about David, the fact that David had been given this promise. And yet it took 15 years for it to materialize. And not only that, but he's now subject to the guy he's going to replace. And this guy's awful. And oh, by the way, trying to kill him. I mean, I, I don't I don't want to underscore the or, uh, understate the importance of what David's life was like during that time when he was in waiting. But quite frankly, that, I mean, where else would you have an opportunity to embrace trust in God when he says, here's your promise, by the way, here are the obstacles in front of it. And you may not live to actually see the promise if you trust in your flesh, if you trust in your eyes. That that, that was a huge season for David, it must have been. It really, it really was. And, you know, we see it in the New Testament as well. I think it's so funny that, you know, we have life verses that we choose, right? But Mm -hmm. I've never heard anyone take Paul's commissioning by God as their life verse. When God sent Ananias to tell Paul, tell him that I will show him all that he has to suffer 
for my sake, right? <laughs> yeah, sign like, me up. Right. That's not, that's not <laughs> the American dream. And yet that's the incredible thing that we have in our faithful father, that he takes the very worst that this world offers and he works it for good. And I think that that's something, especially, again, in our Americanized Christianity, where we've come to expect tangible blessings, not just not just as a reward, but as our right. And right. so when that doesn't happen, then disappointment, disillusionment, discouragement, we begin to believe that God loves everybody else, but He doesn't love us. Right. Or, or we're left with one of... Because we're left with one of two conclusions. You know, I had faith for this. It didn't happen. So something must be wrong with my faith. Right. Or even worse, something must be wrong with God. But hmm. if we can understand that there's a beautiful logic to trusting God. You know, he, he didn't push reset on this fallen world. And I would have, man, if it would have been me, you reject <laughs> me once. I'm not going to give you another chance. Right. But instead, love followed Adam and Eve out of the garden, and it pursued them. And his love keeps pursuing us, inviting us into relationship, inviting us to just surrender our lives and come back into the garden. Here's the thing that has occurred to me. While distrust got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden, I believe that it's trust that's the key back into that intimate friendship with God, but also the ability to come back under the covering of God's protection and provision and love. And that's the place I want to live, because this world, this world, Jesus said, you're going to have trouble because this isn't heaven. This this is just our layover. (laughs) We're we're headed for a different country. (laughs) But right here, right now, He wants to meet us. He wants to redeem hell's worst and turn it for our best. Mm. Those are powerful words of exhortation from Joanna Weaver today here on The Bottom Line. Her new book is called Embracing Trust, The Art of Letting Go and Holding On to a Forever Faithful God. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, we'll talk about how the sovereignty of God and discipline, a gift of discipline, really play a huge role in how we can embrace trust and develop that art of letting go and holding on to God and his faithfulness, regardless of whatever circumstances come our way. More of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Boy, that is good news, and it's so encouraging. Uh, Joanna Weaver, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, we're talking about her brand-new book called Embracing Trust, The Art of Letting Go and Holding On to a Forever Faithful God. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and the book is available right now. We have a copy that we're giving away, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Aren't you glad you listened to the first half hour? You get first dibs, at least getting first in line to get a chance to get after this. You know, here during the Christmas season, I know a lot of people are are looking at God in different ways. You know, I mean, today as we think about uh, what happened on Capitol Hill, uh, President Biden signing into law the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, that literally jeopardizes First Amendment freedoms for millions of Americans who have sincerely held religious beliefs about marriage. Um, and we're being told by the intelligentsia of the day that, you know, it's no big deal. You know, this is all about people loving people and, uh, you know, that, that whole, you know, stuff. This, it's the way that it's all going to go. You know, I, I, I can't help but wonder, and I'm glad we're having this conversation today, today Joanna Weaver, with the idea that, there are a lot of anxieties that we have in the culture right now 
simply because of a lack of trust. And I know it's 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 so easy for us to say, you just got to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You just have to. For those of us who are professing Christians, though, we've already done that, you know? And so there's, there's that two-part approach to placing your faith and trust in God. I believe that wholeheartedly that the sanctification process begins once salvation takes place, and that is God's, by the power of the Holy Spirit, giving us the gift of faith to receive the gift of salvation, which is Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried, uh, ascended to hell on the third day, he rose again, ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, or I love that phrase in the old English, the quick and the dead. We placed our trust in Christ for our salvation. But during this sanctification time, we have to ask the question, how do we keep trusting God when it seems like things keep going against us in society? When we hear about 4,000 Nigerian Christians murdered this past year, and that actually through the first 10 months of the year. When we hear about 40 plus million babies being aborted, at some point you begin to see what it does to the faith of people in the church, people in the culture. And when more and more people are saying, I don't trust your God anymore, I don't believe that the Bible is the standard anymore. And oh, by the way, can we throw in a good Catholic priest sexual assault scandal? And there's nothing good about that, obviously, but the world is getting more and more ammunition, if you will, to be able to come at us and say, hey, you know what? I mean, you're God. This is what you're getting by worshiping your God. No, thanks. We know what love is. We know what kindness is. We know what decency is. And it should, in all honesty, I know it makes us angry, it makes us frustrated, sometimes it makes us fearful. In all honesty, it should break our hearts. And yet, there's always that and yet, you know. <laughs> Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you have to ask the question, what is it there for? Therefore, we double down on our resolve. We continue to trust God, and maybe we trust Him even more. When we see David modeling the kind of deliberate dependence first as a shepherd boy, then a man running for his life, then a king who made some horrible mistakes. Whether in triumph or failure, David looked to God rather than to himself. That is what trust looks like, and we'll talk more about embracing trust with Joanna Weaver on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues in just a moment. Bless your children with the help you've always wanted to give them. Newport Bay Mortgage works with your unique circumstances to explain the benefits of a reverse mortgage in today's market. Act now and provide for your family in need by gifting them a fraction of the fruits of your labor. With Newport Bay Mortgage, you can clarify the advantages of a reverse mortgage in your specific situation with professional insights on the current market. Sharing the rewards of a reverse mortgage is a valuable act of service that helps your loved ones establish valuable financial security for the future. Use the gift from your home to contribute towards God's work and plans by blessing your family in need with real financial help. Make up your mind today to make a difference in the lives of those who mean the most to you. Start by calling Newport Bay Mortgage at 714-741-8080, 714-741-8080. Visit kbrightradio.com slash reverse or NMLS 332959. Newport Bay Mortgage is an equal opportunity housing lender. Want to tap into the equity of your home without getting a second trust deed or a HELOC? A reverse mortgage could be the best way to go. Call Cliff Peliquin at Newport Bay Mortgage today, 714-741-8080, or go to kbrightradio.com 
forward slash reverse. That's K-B-R-T-B-R-I-T-E radio.com forward slash reverse. Joanna Weaver is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. You recognize that name from having a Mary Hart and a Martha world. Joanna, we're going to talk about, uh, continue our conversation about your book, Embracing Trust, The Art of Letting Go and Holding On to a Forever Faithful God that has, no, I mean, hundreds of five-star reviews at Amazon, which I think is just so awesome. But I, I, would, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about Mary and Martha because they became such a huge part of your life and just kind of seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, talk about how that phenomenon has kind of cha- changed your life in ministry. I mean, you mentioned this book that we're talking about now is when you started right around the time Mary and Martha showed up and then Lazarus showed up. And next thing you know, God led you on a whole different ministry when it comes to your writing and speaking. Yes. I, I, you know, when I first wrote having a Mary Hart in a Martha world, everybody was saying, Hey, let's write a sequel. And I, I racked my brain and couldn't come up with anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. then as God began to say, you know, call you know, call me to write something besides the Trusting God book. He led me to two other books that have been a delight. And, oh, Roger, it's crazy. Like, I still get so excited about talking about Mary and Martha and Lazarus because there's just so much truth that we can apply to our own lives. Um, It has opened some beautiful doors for speaking uh, around the country and even the world. And I just had a chance to go down to Brazil a couple of years ago before COVID, and it was just a a privilege and a delight. So very thankful. But my life is still very ordinary. I have the privilege of being a pastor's wife in a little town in, in southwest Montana, and it's a great, great joy. I think that's wonderful. And, you know, it's interesting because actually the phenomenon seems to kind of underscore what you're writing about in the book, Embracing Trust, the idea that you had, you know, this vision for this this writing and then God led you in a different direction. But you had to trust that there was a place for this book, this teaching at some point. And and here it is right here in 2022, the book, Embracing Trust, the art of letting go and holding on to a forever faithful God is up at the bottom line in the holding on section of the book, one of the uh, p- facets of this uh, relationship with God that we have that you write about is called, you call it the gift of discipline. Um, oftentimes when we think of faith and trust. Trust is kind of like, well, people have ripped me off in the past. So therefore, I'm going to hold on loosely to what God wants me to trust him in because, well, you never can tell. I mean, how do we right. how do we discipline ourselves to say, wait, God is sovereign. We could rest in that. You can trust him when we've been scarred and bruised and wounded yeah. by people. Yeah. Well, and I think that is a big challenge. Um, we all have trust issues of some shape or form, and unfortunately those trust issues with people can become trust issues with God. And I think, again, it comes back to this place. If I've fully surrendered my life to God, I, I can rest in the fact that nothing touches my life without His permission. Now, now, if I haven't gotten to surrender, that's going to really irritate me <laughs> because yeah. Yeah. God will have allowed things to happen that just don't make sense. But again, what's so beautiful about our Redeemer is that He has harnessed the injustices of life. Mm-hmm. He's harnessed those wounds and those things that the enemy intended to use to take us out. And He actually uses it to shape our character to, to create Christ-likeness in us. You know, I include a little bit of the story of Joseph, you know, two amazing dreams that he's going to be, you know, everyone's going to be bowing down to him. But instead, he's sold into captivity and then falsely accused and thrown into prison. 
But somewhere along the line, I believe that Joseph hammered out forgiveness, which is one of the chapters in the book. Mm-hmm. And then I do believe that he had to begin to discipline his thoughts, take captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, against the knowledge of his love for us, against mm-hmm. the knowledge that he can use anything, that, that his, his, nothing thwarts his purposes for me. Right. And if I can get there, then I can go, okay, Lord, this hurts. I don't like this situation. This injustice, I feel like I'm going to die. It hurts so bad. Mm-hmm. But Lord, let it have its finished work. And I have just found the truth of David's words from Psalm 23. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's the discipline of the Lord. Some stuff just happens because we live in a fallen world. Some stuff is because God is wanting to test our character and shape us and transform us into Christ. But we've got to cooperate with the purpose. But if we don't understand that it all comes from a heart of love, that He has our highest good in mind, then we're going to resent it and we're going to resist it rather than embrace the the gift of discipline. Mm. Joanna Weaver with me today here on The Bottom Line. Love to hear her teach and exhort us from this new book called Embracing Trust, The Art of Letting Go and Holding On to a Forever Faithful God. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Joanna, a couple minutes left in our conversation. You conclude this writing in the Living Faith segment about leaving a legacy of trust. Talk about what that means. I mean, I, I, I know anecdotally what it means in my life to have seen that modeled before uh, and then be able mm-hmm. to cling to it when times are tough. But what are you referring to for the benefit of our listeners who are saying, I'm just hearing about this book for the first time. I'm intrigued by it, but what do you mean by leaving a legacy of trust? Yeah. Well, I think we underestimate our influence. You know, no matter who you are, no matter how small your life seems, God has given you a realm of influence, whether it's just your neighbors, um, your your family, uh, your coworkers. You have an effect in the world in which you live. And sometimes we take that on as a burden and as a, as a, oh dear, you know, I can't do anything wrong. I've got to do this perfect. But you know what I'm discovering is there's no more powerful testimony than choosing to trust God when things are hard. Hmm. You know, I think sometimes we feel like, well, I struggle. I don't, I don't understand everything in the Bible. Um, you know, my life isn't one victory after another, so I have nothing to share. Right. But if we've really come to that place where we've just said, Lord, you know what, even here in this place that doesn't make sense, be glorified. And as we put our hope in Him, you know, I've been thinking so much about Romans fifteen thirteen, where it says, hmm. Paul prays, may the God of hope cause you to overflow with joy and peace. And isn't that what the world is looking for? Mm-hmm. It's looking for joy and peace. Not not the escape of problems, but peace in the middle of conflict, joy in the middle of pain. And, and what that verse says is that at, He wants to give us joy and peace, but there's a condition. It says, as you trust in Him. Amen. May the God of peace, of, of hope, cause you to overflow with joy and peace. And so here's what I'm trying to do, just a practical tip. Uh, when fear comes, and oh, it's going to come, you don't, you don't have to even go looking for it. You can be minding <laughs> yeah. your own business, yep. and all of a sudden you get a phone call or a thought hits you sideways, and all of a sudden you're, where you were a woman of faith, one moment you're, you're just like spiraling in fear. What I'm learning to do is when something happens, rather than letting it trigger panic, 
I'm letting it trigger trust instead. David writes, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. And so I'll just speak it out loud. I'll speak it aloud rather than just nursing it and rehearsing the issue in my mind or calling a friend and saying, you won't believe what happened. Mm-hmm. I just stop and interrupt those thoughts and declare out loud, Lord, I trust you. Mm-hmm. I give this situation to you. And Lord, I thank you that you're going to give me the wisdom, the direction, the guidance I need, but I'm not going to panic. I'm going to trust. Amen. Amen. Those are great words of encouragement and hope about how we can embrace trust in God, especially when you've been hurt by others or maybe you look at your own inadequacies and say, what is it that that I have that allows me to let go of the things I don't need to hold on to and to hold on the things that are so important? Joanna Weaver's new book is called Embracing Trust, The Art of Letting Go and Holding On to a Forever Faithful God. And we have a link to that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Joanna, great to get some time with you again today. Congratulations on the book and uh, happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas from all of our friends here at The Bottom Line Show. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much, Roger. The same to you. It's a happy, happy holiday season, that's for sure. And it's going to get happier for someone who calls the bottom line right now at 800-227-5278. We have two copies of Joanna Weaver's book, Embracing Trust, The Art of Letting Go and Holding On to a Forever Faithful God to Give Away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. If trust has been an issue for you, maybe in a relationship, maybe on the job, uh, maybe, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's either relationship or job related, but maybe your faith in Christ has been kind of rattled over the past uh, 12 months and rattled in such a way that perhaps you're having a hard time getting it back. This is a good resource to have. 800-227-5278 to get a copy, one of the two copies of Joanna Weaver's book, Embracing Trust, The Art of Letting Go and Holding On to a Forever Faithful God. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about an issue of trust that has hit the culture pretty hard, and I wonder how many people actually realize that this issue of trust has actually been breached, as it were. We're going to talk about uh, how dangerous life has become for a lot of people, and one group in particular that one study is suggesting actually needs our help. We'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and Happy Hanukkah, if that's the way you roll, from all of us here at The Bottom Line Show. Joanna Weaver has been my guest today here for the past half hour or so. We've been discussing her brand new book called Embracing Trust, The Art of Letting Go and Holding On to a Forever Faithful God. It's based on the life of David. We have two copies of the book that we're giving away right now, so give Crystal a call at 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And I, this whole issue of trusting God, there are a lot of people who had their faith and trust in God really rocked during the pandemic, maybe the last couple of presidential elections, even the midterms that just happened. Uh, maybe a relationship has turned sideways for you. Uh, it, it, it's amazing how many things can change in life that actually then cause us to take a look at the foundation that we were standing on and begin to realize, hey, you know what? Uh, maybe that foundation wasn't as firm as I thought. 
I came across a report not too long ago, and I wanted to share it with you because I thought it was uh, <clears throat> interesting. It's a list that was created in 2011 by a guy called Tom Mortensen, who's a senior scholar at the Pell Institute for the Study of Opportunity in Higher Education in Washington, D.C. It was updated in 2019 by researcher Mark J. Perry of the American Enterprise Institute, which is an organization that I uh, quote quite often here on the Bottom Line Show. Uh, Arthur Brooks, their uh, president at one point, uh, has been a recurring guest here on the Bottom Line Show. And the idea was they wanted to study gender gaps in the general population. We have seen this type of thing uh, studied and restudied and studied some more for the past, you know, pretty regularly for the past 50 years or so. And it's gotten a lot of media attention, of course, with the feminist movement in the 60s and 70s, and then the uh, let's break the glass ceiling movement of the 80s and 90s, then the B2 movement of the last couple of, uh, uh, of decades. But, you know, it's, it's interesting how when you watch the media stories and you see how the media reports on things, there is a danger. The danger is that oftentimes, uh, I don't know if you've ever done this before. <laughs> a lot of us have. In the copy and paste world, where you read something that somebody else wrote and you like it and you decide to kind of graft it into what you're writing, you copy and paste. Or maybe the write over, R-I-T-E, over world, where you'll use a file for something maybe on the computer and instead of just starting a whole new file, you kind of write over what you had been working on before. And maybe it's because some of what you did before is going to wind up in another report. Other times, it, it it's you're just kind of like me, and you're still dealing in Microsoft Word. And you, you don't want to start new files. You just delete something in an old file and start over. After a while, if you were to do that with paper, you'd begin to see that erasing what you had written before and using that paper again, eventually the paper can't handle it. Or what you're writing with is going to bleed through what you're writing on. And it, where are you going with this, Roger? Well, here, here's where I'm going with it. There are narratives that take place in the media that happen to the church, that happen to the sporting world, that happen in relationships, happen in family histories, that if you repeat them often enough, you know what happens? People just start accepting them without actually paying attention to them. I've shared uh, that in my life, for example, there, there's a story in my family history about uh, where uh, the, my paternal grandfather, excuse me, my maternal grandfather's family came from. Hispanic surname, uh, Spanish origins, uh, family pictures that look like they came off the wall of a Mexican restaurant. I mean, it's, it's the whole deal. And I often wondered, well, you know, what's the story? And so we heard the, the immigration story. You know, the family had Spanish connection and, you know, came through Mexico, et cetera, et cetera. Not, not realizing that their immigration story was really pretty short in that they, my, my grandfather, my mom's dad was born in Rancho Cucamonga and Rancho Cucamonga was part of California that was part of Mexico that, you know, one day you're Mexican, the next day you're Californian, you know, and and then the U.S. takes over in 18, by 1849, California's a state. There, there wasn't a whole lot of moving going on there. There's no, you know, pa packing our trunk and leaving our homeland and sailing over the boat. There's other parts of the family that had that. But for many years, we just kind of had that story. And your family does, too. And, and it's not a bad story. It's just it wasn't just it wasn't completely accurate. So when we look at American history, 
especially as Christians. I'm really kind of getting into the whole missed history thing, the, the stories we didn't know about, the stories that uh, we haven't shared. Like yesterday, talking about the uh, the Mendez family and the the fact that Brown versus Board of Education is the Supreme Court story that talked about um, the 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 relationship between race and public schools, but it was 10 years earlier that the Mendez at all case against the Westminster Unified School District was the one that really kind of set the table for Brown versus Board of Education in Topeka. I didn't know that. I didn't know that until about three weeks ago. Fascinating. Grew up around this whole area. Used to live off of 17th Street for crying out loud. And who knew that was happening in my own backyard back in the 1940s? Well, taking a look at this study, that was concocted in 2011 by Tom Mortensen, I mentioned at the Pell Institute. It was titled, For Every 100 Girls and Women. And originally when these types of lists have been made in the past, the idea was for every, you know, that they would show that if you, for every 100 girls and women in America, there were 150 men who got to do something or 200 men that had this opportunity or whatever. It was, it was a really helpful benchmark for us as a society to see the differences between men and women in the culture and to see, you know, to ask the question, well, where are the opportunities? And you could do these types of things with people of different ethnicities, people of different faiths, people who have different educational opportunities. I mean, you could really do this, but this is just kind of a general on the whole. If you're comparing men and women, this is the type of thing that we're looking at. And when you have people like Melinda Gates, for example, Bill and Melinda Gates, uh, two of the richest people on the face of the earth, uh, Mrs. Gates, a very philanthropic part. Are they still married? Did they break up? I've, I've, I've been a couple of Jeff Bezos, I know, and his wife got divorced. And now he's with his girlfriend, who I assume be his wife. Bill and Melinda Gates, you know, then there's others who, you know, she's giving out all sorts of money and, uh, you know, trying to help people in certain circumstances. If you go back to 1998, there was a first ladies conference in El Salvador and Hillary Clinton, then the first lady of the U.S., said women have always been the primary victims of war. Women lose their husbands, their fathers, their sons in combat. Women are often left with the responsibility alone of raising the children. Now, basically, you know, when she made that statement, you could look at that and say, well, um, yeah, that that is a real casualty of war. But ask yourself the question, would you rather have to raise your kids alone or die because your legs were blown off by an IED? I mean, if, the idea, though, is that uh, for some reason, uh, men are collectively assumed to have an inherent privilege and women are the collective victims. And, and that statement by Mrs. Clinton, I think, was very telling, especially in light of this report. We're going to take a quick break. And, you know, here we are 22 plus years later, well, 24 years later. And we're going to take a look at this new uh, study, the updated version of the For one Every 100 Women piece, and take a look at the fact that even though Melinda Gates is saying, hey, women only hold 24% of the seats in Congress, at the same time, though, there were a record number of women who ran for office and ran in 2018, and that list just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So I guess the question we're going to look at is, who exactly has the greater disadvantage now in this country? Is the playing field completely level? Are women still disadvantaged? Or is it the men who might need some help? We're going to take a look at this study and then get your chance to give you a chance to weigh in on it coming up on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. 
Our friends at Preborn understand that when it comes to the sanctity of human life, people will look at the gender of a baby in an ultrasound and say, hey, it's a boy, it's a girl. But every life has value, and especially the preborn life. And right now, you have a golden opportunity. Our friend Dennis Wilson and a colleague of his, Jeff Wood, have put up a matching gift so that you can give as part of a campaign to raise enough money to generate $15,000 to purchase an ultrasound machine for a preborn health center right here in California. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. We still have $6,000 left. Uh, and that's $6,000, meaning we could get six donations of $1,000 each. That'll be doubled by Dennis and Jeff, and boom, another ultrasound machine. 40 ultrasound machines have been placed in ultra, uh, preborn clinics this year alone through October. And bottom line, listeners are pushing to put four more in before now, between now and the end of the year. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229 or go to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. You'll find a banner there for preborn, cute little baby there. Click on the banner, make your best donation online. Completely tax deductible, 100% going toward ultrasound machines. Contact preborn right now. You never know what little thing you can do for someone that can make a change in their life. Personal injury attorney Stephanie Cover has a servant's heart. She will do everything in her power to fully restore you to what your life was like before your injury using her 25 years of experience to fight for the fair value of your case. Stephanie puts others first and works tirelessly for her clients. Even when she can't help through representation, she does everything she can do to connect people with the help they need through spreading the word of God and sharing her community. Stephanie Cover is grateful for what she has and tries to give back however she can. She believes that as a Christian, you don't turn your back on anyone. Save her number or call now. 877-214-4935. 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Then fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Law. Stephanie Cover. She knows the other side. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. You still have a few moments more to call in for your chance to win one of the two copies of Joanna Weaver's new book that we're giving away. Uh, Joanna's new book is called Embracing Trust, The Art of Letting Go and Holding On to a Forever Faithful God, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We're taking your calls until the top of the hour, and then we'll be giving away our two uh, uh, books. So. Get your calls in, 800-227-5278, and you can win one of those two copies of the books we're giving away. The uh, the report that came out in 2011 and then again in 2019 was updated uh, with regard to whether or not uh, it's men or women who are being damaged by the culture. It's kind of become part of the media narrative now that women are always second class, always getting the short end of the stick. And I, I think we've got a more level playing field now than ever before. But if you start looking at this list called For Every 100 Girls and Women, first created by Tom Mortensen at the Pell Institute in 2011, and then updated by the Study for Opportunity in Higher Education in D.C. Uh, in 2019 and the American Enterprise Institute, let me show you just a couple of the numbers that help us understand where we are in the United States today. For example, for every 100 women enrolled in U.S. graduate schools earning master's or doctorate degrees, for every 100 women, there are now 73 men. For every 100 women who do earn a doctorate, there are 90 men who do. For every 100 girls who repeat kindergarten, 
there are 145 boys who do. For every 100 women who die of opioid overdose, there are 212 men who do. For every 100 women ages 20 to 29 who commit suicide, there are 450 men who do. For every 100 women who are homeless and unsheltered, there are 242 men who are. And for every 100 women who die as a result of a work-related accident, there are 1,300 men who do. You have to wonder, when President 44 created a White House Council on Women and Girls and lectured the nation on the importance of fatherhood and the damages of fatherlessness, you have to wonder, why did he not create a White House Council on Men and Boys as well? According to the data in society, it's men and boys who are in crisis. It's the boys and men who are falling behind in education and behavioral and health outcomes, not girls and women. So the question we have to ask and answer is, I know it seems awkward maybe to say that maybe the guys need more help than the women these days, but why aren't we seeing that? Why do you think that is the problem? Do you think that that really is the problem? And that's the question that we have to discuss here. We'll put that on the table. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I'm very curious as to what you think of this updated report. Now, this is from a couple of years ago in terms of the statistics, but the numbers keep progressing in that way. When you heard about the number of on-the-job deaths, I think that might be fairly, I don't want to say easy to explain, but kind of basic. And guys usually do more dangerous work than women do. But what about the educational challenges? What about the mental health issues? And we're talking educational challenges that take us all the way back to kindergarten. I mean, if, if the roles were reversed, if the numbers were different, if we said for every 100 boys who are failing kindergarten and have to repeat that grade, there are 145 girls who have to. Can you imagine the national uproar? If we found out that for every 100 men who are enrolled in college, there were only 75 women, can you can you imagine? It would be all over The View and MSNBC and everywhere. So, But when it's that way with men, why is there no outrage? What, are your ta- what do you think of this? What do you make of this? 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line show. Uh, our friends at KCBC now bid you adieu as you go out, off to uh, be with the Rabbi Schneider and discovery the Jewish Jesus. Uh, don't forget to join us again tomorrow at 3.30 for the live edition of the Bottom Line Show, Bottom Line Extra at 7 p.m., Bottom Line Rewind tomorrow morning at 10.30. For those who remain on the network, we're going to get into this conversation. Do you believe that men are in more need of uh, uh well, a resuscitation, if you will, than women in our culture right now. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, a gender-bending segment here uh, with regard to a new study that was uh, kind of a co-laboring, if you will, with regard to uh, the roles of men and women in society. There have been a lot of these lists that have been published over the years uh, for every 100 girls and women, dot, 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 and then they take a look at different categories like education, employment, uh, politics, things of that nature. And it's very interesting that 
in looking at the numbers and looking at the actual statistics, more and more people are beginning to ask the question, why do we put so much money into the programs for women? Melinda Gates announcing a billion dollars to try to boost, you know, the, the, the presence of women in the workplace, college campuses and things of that nature. And then, well, what, guys don't get any of this. I mean, this is the type of one person, Melinda Gates. And again, it's her money. Do whatever you want to do with it. She uh, basically has uh, she has a company called Pivotal Ventures that has committed a billion dollars toward collaboration with new and established partners in, quote, taking innovative and diverse approaches to expanding American women's power and influence. Why the massive infusion of money? Well, not really explained all that well in the statement. She begins by making the observation that women hold only 24 percent of the seats in Congress, but then said, but but, you know, going back to as recently as 2018, there were a record number of women who ran for office and won. Many of them of color. Uh, that would be probably the result of not her billion dollar donation, but rather the fact that attitudes have changed. More women are motivated to seek office, seek higher education, things of that nature. So the idea that we would need to, as she puts it, fast track in sectors with outsized impact on our society, like technology, media, and public office. Here's the thing, though. I mean, she doesn't really make a case for it in terms of saying we need to have that. We've been hearing this mantra, this rhetoric over and over again. Women are underrepresented in the sciences. Women are underrepresented in politics, underrepresented in business. They can't get through to traditional male avenues. You know, I'll be honest with you, over the past 40 years. I know a lot of women who started their own businesses. And the reason they did was because that's the kind of business they wanted to start. They didn't want to take over a Fortune 500 company. They wanted to do their own thing. And they do quite well. Thank you very much. If you don't really have a case for this, you can't say, well, you know, women only this and women only STEM summer schools, women only scholarships, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's a lot of money here to be handed out. But is it something that is really needed? Let me repeat these statistics again. If you're just tuning in, um, you, this is rather interesting. The report that first came out in 2011, Tom Mortensen, senior scholar at the Pell Institute for the Study of Opportunity in Higher Education, published a list called For Every 100 Girls and Women. In 2019, uh, Mark J. Perry of the American Enterprise Institute, a researcher there, updated the number. And the whole idea was basically to look at data-based gender gaps in the general population. But when they did this, though, I mean, it used to be there was a time when you could say, you know, for every 100 men who are on the board of a, you know, board of directors of a Fortune 500 company, there are only two women or three women, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, those are issues that are still ongoing. I think they're fairly well documented and people need to know. But when it comes to education, I mean, this is the thing that, I mean, I don't want to say it cracks me up, but it cracks me up. I mean, having daughters and sons in the millennial and Generation Z generation and knowing who's getting the education, who's getting the jobs, who's making the money. I mean, that's a fair, about as level playing field as you can get. And if anyone has the advantage, it's women, simply because of the fact that they have had more educational opportunities. They've got better education. They've got more career ambition. They want to go. For example, every 100 women enrolled in a graduate school in the United States, there are only 73 men. Now, can you imagine the feminist pushback on the view 
if they found out that for every, you know, we're, we're still only making 88 cents on the dollar. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you can, the, the wage gap isn't happening with younger de- demographics. Takes a while to work those types of things out. But when you co- constitute what the average quote unquote wage is, and you're taking me as a part-time broadcaster, pastor, does a few things with other ministries and, you know, squeaks by on a living. And I'm not saying that self-aggrandize, self, self-depreciating rather. It is kind of self-effacing, but it's, it's, it is what it is. I mean, this is, I, I chose this ministry, this career, 40 years later, still doing it. I mean, praise God. But you put me in the same category as someone like Bill Gates or Michael Jordan or some of these other places, guys who make a ton of money and then try to average it together. That does kind of drive the curve up a little bit. Every 100 women enrolled in grad school, there are 73 men. Every 100 women who are in doctorates, there are 90 men. And I'll be honest with you, that number is going to keep splitting even further because for every uh, the number of women enrolled in the grad schools, that 27% discrepancy, it's going to start to run away from guys in, in, in future generations. I thought it was interesting, too, that they looked at academic success, but they also looked at academic decline in this report. Uh, taking a look at uh, elementary education, primary grades, what we used to call grammar school. Um, education used to, uh, sociologists told us that the educational system used to favor boys over girls. It was more science and math oriented. It was history oriented. The girls tended to do better in the language arts and humanities. And now we flip the script. It's far more verbal. It's far more emotional. It's far more sociological. It isn't as, you know, guys can't get to middle school and high school and say, I'll just take wood shop and auto shop and metal shop and go get a job in a garage somewhere. I, there's a lot more writing, a lot more emoting. For every 100 girls who have to repeat kindergarten, there are 145 boys who do. Boys are maturing later. It's taking longer for them to get there. When it comes to drugs and alcohol, it's shocking to hear about the number of women who are abusing after using opioids. But for every 100 women who die by opioid overdose, there are 212 men. It is no secret that we hear about women who are forced into the streets because of abuse or violence, and they have to literally run for their lives and try to find a shelter, and it's horrible. There are some outstanding faith-based organizations that help women in situations like that. My sister's a huge champion of that with the sheepfold here locally. And yet for every 100 women who are homeless and don't have a place to stay, there are 242 men. What is our response to that? Do we know how many of these men had to flee a home situation where maybe a wife was abusive? Or how many, I mean, if you read the statistics when it comes to same-sex relationships, for example, there's a lot more abuse that goes unreported there, from what I'm told, than we actually hear. Two guys get in a relationship, one's abusive and the other one winds up on the street. As Christians, how do we respond to this? The suicide rate of women in the 20 to 29 age group, the suicide rate for men is 450% higher than it is for women. I'll be honest with you, when it comes to the next statistic with regarding women who are involved in dangerous work and wind up losing their lives while they're working, um, 
I don't know of anybody that's ever happened to. I know many guys who have either died in a construction accident. Some guy literally had a friend in his early 30s who had a desk job and he had so much stress and so much pressure on him as the guy who was managing this operation that he literally had a stroke, had a blood clot, caused a stroke and led to fatality, 32 years of age. For every 100 women who die on the job, there are 1,294 men who do. So what do you think? I mean, these are kind of gloomy statistics. We know that life isn't all gloom and doom, but I'm curious. I'll put up the phone lines here, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Do you think it's time in our culture that we start kind of pumping the brakes on these programs focusing on women and start going after helping guys. By the way, congratulations to April from Fallbrook and also Cambiz, it looks like from Newport Beach, the winners of the uh, book by Joanna Weaver, Embracing Trust, the Art of Letting Go and Holding On to a Forever Faithful God. We've got a link to that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Now that the phone lines are clear, let's get into this conversation about men and women and who needs more help. It seems like apparently uh, it's the guys in society. Do you agree with that statement? 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, when I think about men and women and the way God creates us, male and female, he creates us to be a perfect complement to one another. And it breaks my heart to know that there are families in this culture right now who would look at a pregnancy and say, oh, another girl, we already have a girl. And then they would decide to abort the child rather than placing that child up for adoption. I love what the Ministry of Preborn is doing to help change minds and change hearts with that regard. Too many people in this culture think you have two options when you get pregnant, either have an abortion or give birth to a child that maybe you can't afford to raise. The third option, adoption though, is really brought to the forefront when you see the ultrasound, when you see the picture of that little guy and say, wow, he's got his father's chin or she's got her mom's nose. You can see that in those ultrasounds. You hear the heartbeat, you know this is more than just cardiac activity, like the Associated Press says. And your donation to Preborn right now for an ultrasound image, $28 is all it takes to save one life. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. We still have a two-for-one match, a dollar-for-dollar match from Dennis Wilson at Wilson Financial Services, and I encourage you to give us a call with that donation today, knowing that your $100 gift becomes $200, your $500 gift becomes $1,000. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229. Call Preborn now. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. I'm Roger Marsh, taking a look at this report from the American Enterprise Institute with regard to, wow, I mean, just statistics that are just uh, kind of mind-boggling when you think about them, because if you listen to the media, all you ever hear is, well, we know it's, it's more difficult for women than men, so girls need all the advantages they could get, and guys really don't need them. And yet, according to this new study, and the American Enterprise Institute are the uh, the group that uh, that updated the study from the original 2011 study, asking the question: uh, For every 100 girls or women who, whatever, uh, whether they go to college or uh, they have to repeat a grade in school or have opportunities in the workforce, whatever, the idea that there are a lot of guys who are kind of suffering in silence. 
I'm just curious as to what you think of these gender gaps. And if you agree that there's a problem here, or if you don't see this as a problem, I'd love to get your take. We'll do our own informal poll. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, the opioid overdose use and abuse is heartbreaking to see that men and women are using opioids in greater numbers. And we saw this during the pandemic where we were hearing the statistics initially about how people were experiencing some good mental mental health, but then it, it kind of turned sideways. And we saw like 500% increase in the number of young people who are contemplating suicide, uh, the stresses and the pressures. And you know, it, what's happening in the culture right now is that a lot of things that people thought were rock solid and certain did not prepare them for perhaps the greatest uh, gift that life can prepare you with, and that is resilience, you know, tenacity, uh, stick-to-itiveness, if you will. The White House thought so much about the gap between women and men in 2011 that then-President Obama created a White House Council on Women and Girls. He also was very, very passionate in his first term in talking about the issue of fatherlessness and how many young men in particular we're having to deal with this issue. Now, he had kind of mixed results with regard to his uh, his worldview, as it were, because on the one hand, he talked about fathers and families and how fatherlessness was a problem. At the same time, he celebrated abortion, uh, made appearances at Planned Parenthood banquets, and even went so far as to say, God bless Planned Parenthood. And, you know, on its face, on its surface, that type of statement shows a certain level of concern and involvement. Most people would say, yeah, when it comes to planning parenthood, there should be more parental involvement, there should be more conversation, et cetera, et cetera. But the organization known as Planned Parenthood has become this radicalized pro-abortion group that it's just, it's mind boggling to think about how detrimental that organization has actually become. And when I think about how that is sold to young women, look at what happened in the 2022 midterms. College-educated white young women were the driving force behind the Democrats' success in pushing back the red wave. Why? Well, for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, they were told that their fundamental rights were being stripped away by a radicalized activist court. Now, notice that activists and radicals, in this case, were the Supreme Court justices who actually read the Constitution who understood that Roe versus Wade was passed on basically a false pretense and took the opportunity with the Dobbs versus Jackson case in Mississippi, which was a 15 week ban on abortion, by the way, you could have abortions up till 15 weeks, but they rightly read the, the high court did that the Supreme court had basically invented a right to a legal abortion on the federal level. And they basically stripped them of that. They said there's no justification of the Constitution for Roe versus Wade or Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Ergo, we're taking this away. But then Clarence Thomas, rather famously or now infamously, said, you know, if we did this with uh, Roe versus Wade, we probably should revisit Obergefell as well, because that's one where Justice Anthony Kennedy invented a right to same-sex, quote-unquote, marriage in the Constitution and legalized it on the federal level, even though it wasn't passed by law. Now, that law has officially been signed into law today, as a matter of fact, President Biden signing the so-called uh, Respect for Marriage Act, which basically puts, oh my goodness, millions of American Christians at risk. 
if you wonder how risky it is to be a Christian. Uh, this is something from our friends at the Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, ADF, which is fighting the good fight on behalf of, uh, well, traditional values and biblical values. According to Alliance Defending Freedom, Senior Vice President of Strategic Initiatives, Ryan Bangert, regarding President Biden's signing of the uh, Respect for Marriage Act, here's what Ryan had to say, quote, the First Amendment protects every American including the many millions of us who hold decent and honorable beliefs about marriage. The president and Congress have intentionally threatened free speech and religious liberty with enactment of the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, continuing a pattern of blatant hostility against people of faith. Sadly, the president chose virtue signaling over protecting Americans by the millions, churches, faith-based organizations that spoke out for months about the undeniable harms of this unnecessary bill. The law is a solution in search of a problem that provides no additional protection or benefits to same-sex couples. However, it does undermine the constitutional freedoms that belong to each of us. ADF remains committed to defending those who will likely be targeted because of this law and upholding every American's fundamental freedom of speech and religion. That's a statement from Ryan Bangert at the Alliance Defending Freedom. ADFlegal.org is where you find them, and they're a great partner with us here at the Bottom Line Show. You know, what's interesting about this for every 100 women and girls study is the fact that there's an assumption, just like with what happened in the Respect for Marriage Act, or I should say the Disrespect for Marriage Act, all we had to do was tell these college-educated, primarily white women that their freedoms were at risk, that, that all of a sudden the Supreme Court was going to take away their right to contraception, to take away their rights as women. They were going to have less, after Roe versus Wade was overturned, you saw the memes everywhere. You know, I, I have less rights today as a 27-year-old woman than my great-grandmother did. Not true, but the rhetoric is right there. I love what Ryan Bankert said about the Respect for Marriage Act. This law is a solution in search of a problem. And it actually provides no additional protections or benefits for same-sex couples. And yet that's how the president's spinning it. In the same way, we're being told that life is worse in the United States for women than for men. But look at the statistics. For every 100 women enrolled in graduate school, only 73 men are there. Well, maybe they didn't want to go. Yeah, or maybe they didn't go to college. Maybe they didn't finish college. Maybe they weren't academically prepared for it. For every 100 women earning doctorates, there are 90 men who do so. For every 100 girls who repeat kindergarten, there are 145 boys. I mean, that's twice the number, a 50% increase at least. I mean, it's not twice because it'd be 100 and 200. I get that. Shouldn't that be sounding off alarms? Does anyone care? First of all, it's tragic. I think that there are 100 girls who have to repeat kindergarten, but the, they're talking about percentages and proportions. If those numbers were reversed, it would be an all-out educational crisis. But it doesn't seem to bother anyone in this culture anymore, does it? 800-227-5278. We're taking a look at this study. Do men need a little boost now in the culture? We've spent billions of dollars and countless hours trying to elevate the stature of women in the culture. Have we gotten to the point now where the women are outpacing the men and the men are going to fall so far behind they won't catch up? Does that even matter? What do you think? Love your opinion on this. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. More of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues.
Hey, before we go any further, though, I want to tell you about my friend Dennis Wilson and a fantastic opportunity that he has available to you. Call 800-696-9970 right now. Here's the deal. If you have a 401k or an IRA that just got hammered in the stock market this year, here's a chance for you to kind of recoup your losses, if you will. Dennis Wilson has a program right now that will pay you a 13% bonus when you make the investment today. If you had a $100,000 401k, it's down to $90,000. Cash that thing out, pay the penalty, pay a little bit of tax, and they'd get 13% bonus on the money that you invest and get a 3% return. For all intents and purposes, that's a net annual return of 16% guaranteed. But you've got to call Dennis Wilson right now. The program ends January 5th. 800-696-9970, Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive 6% CD alternative. This unique real estate-backed investment has continued to perform exceptionally well in good times and in bad. I just reviewed a client file and it really felt bad because in reviewing the file, I realized that if they had followed the advice they had received, if they'd have put the money in the CD alternative, as I had recommended, they would have earned enough to build a church in Africa. Instead, the money is still in the bank, earning nothing but dust. I realized how important it is to know it's God's money and we're just a good steward of it. One simple idea on the CD alternative would build a church in Africa. Honoring God and their clients by stewarding their money well. Call 800-696-9970. That's 800-696-9970. Or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. So glad you've tuned in today as we've been taking a look at the so-called gender gap in the United States of America and why it has gone the way it has. And these are, again, these are just a few examples of graduate school, doctoral degrees, uh, repeating kindergarten. There's like seven different topics here that are cited in the study that we'll put up at thebottomlineshow.com. There are other places. And there are places, too, where when it comes to the differences between men and women, we see some disparages, uh, disparities that actually are actually leaning toward um, you know, men having the advantage over women. But, you know, I was thinking about this study as having the conversation with Joanna Weaver earlier today, because Joanna is famous. She's gotten notoriety for writing a book called Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World. Remember the whole story? Uh, Jesus is over at the home of Mary, Martha and Lazarus, and he's teaching the disciples. And um, that Mary has kind of wandered into the sitting room with the guys and she's listening to Jesus teach. And Martha's in the kitchen getting everything ready and she's kind of fussing around. And finally, she you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but she, she pulls Jesus aside and says, Hey, I mean, you're going to help me out here and make, you know, make Mary do what she's supposed to do. I mean, I'm fussing and getting everything ready and she's not doing anything. And Jesus says, you know, Martha, you're, you're doing a lot of things that are all very well and good, but Mary made a better decision. And in that statement, it's so powerful because he affirms what Martha was doing. You know, oftentimes we kind of pit Mary against Martha in the culture. We say, well, Martha's wrong because she's busy and she's trying to earn Jesus' favor. And Mary's just sitting there taking this all in. Look at the cultural significance of what's going on here. Mary and Martha had a job to do to get things ready for the meal and the preparation and being good hostesses. And also they weren't culturally invited into that conversation. That, there were men talking in there and that's what they were supposed to do. 
the fact that Mary's in there and the disciples don't seem too agitated, you know, is just kind of a testament to the way Jesus treated people. But the fact that he pulls Martha aside and says, hey, look, I know you're upset. You're doing a lot of things and I, I know what you're doing. I see what you're doing and I think that what you're doing is good, but what Mary's doing is better. And he's basically inviting her into a place where as a woman in the Jewish tradition, she was not readily welcomed. And I love the fact that Jesus didn't look around and say, we need to form a council. We need to form a commission. We, we, should, we should be petitioning Rome. We should be also petitioning the, uh, the Pharisees to make sure that there's a special fund set up so that we can elevate the position of women. You know, or how about the marginalized in society? Let, let's, you know, the, the Samaritans, the, the, the Greeks, let's, let's, let, let's make sure that we have some kind of government program that puts all that together. No, you know what Jesus did in this moment is what we can do in the moment too. He didn't give a lecture. He didn't propose billions of dollars and form commissions and have study groups. He just lived the ministry. It's not clear in scripture to me whether Jesus invited Mary into the room or not, but she went and he did not cast her aside. He did not condemn Martha for what she was doing, but he did condone what Mary did. And basically by default said to Martha, hey, you can do this too. It's okay. It's what the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Now let me show you a more excellent way. The whole issue of our faith in Christ and living it out in the culture is so important. We don't lecture other people into heaven. I don't know of too many people who've actually been argued into the kingdom, though I did have a conversation with Senator Ted Cruz's dad, Pastor Rafael Cruz one time, and he said, I was that guy. I'd go to Bible study and I'd argue with the pastor for six, seven hours before he finally received the gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But it's amazing how living it out showing the love of Christ. It does not require a law passed by the government. It does not require a billion dollar grant from a wealthy philanthropist. Basically, the way we correct the problems in the culture, according to biblical terms, is to act lovingly the way God would have us act. We don't condone sin. We don't condone cultural abnormalities that go against the word of God. But if you look at what happens here, you see it happen a lot in Scripture. Oh, Jesus had some choice words for the Pharisees, no question about it. They were trying so hard to jot and tittle their way through every aspect of the law, so he had no trouble matching them point for point because he's the living word of God. But when it came to people who were following him, you see him doing a lot more showing and a lot less telling. And I think it's very telling of what he was showing them. May we be known as the people who live our faith in such a way that others are inspired to follow Jesus and to see Jesus in us and our actions, not because of law, not because of lecture, not because of a big gift, but because of the love of Christ. That's the bottom line.